Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Let us listen now for God's word to us. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up, out of the water, the spirit, snatched, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. So just to set the stage a little bit here, The arc of the story of the book of Acts is the movement of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem out to the nations, right? Throughout the book, the Spirit is on the move and is calling all of Jesus' followers to join along for this ride, and it's a bit of a bumpy one. The first seven books, uh, chapters of the book of Acts focus exclusively on the early Jesus movement in Jerusalem and all the conflicts that that they had with uh, the religious powers that be there, the the religious authorities in Jerusalem. And it's, of course, in those chapters that we meet that infamous persecutor of the early church, right? Saul, who would eventually become Paul. And then, of course, the later half of the the book is, is all about the movement of the gospel led primarily by Paul, right? The Spirit moving Paul out to the nations, to the Gentiles, those who were previously thought by some to be on the outside of God's plan of salvation, outside in some way, right? So this, this story of, uh, in chapter 7 of the Ethiopian eunuch is kind of the perfect hinge of this movement out, right? You have the, this Ethiopian who is a, an ethnically, religiously is an outsider, 
Right? He does not belong to, uh, he's, not a, he's not Jewish, he's not from Jerusalem, anything like that. And he has just come from Jerusalem and is literally moving away from Jerusalem, going home. So there's this literal kind of movement from Jerusalem outward to the nations, beginning with this Ethiopian eunuch. And it's a really lovely story, isn't it, right? This, this messenger of the Lord kind of spontaneously comes to Philip and tells him, you know, get up and go. And Philip obeys and goes along the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, where he meets this Ethiopian eunuch, who we are told is a court official in the queen, of the queen of Ethiopia. And we learn that he is on his way home, having just left the festivities of Jerusalem, where he had gone to worship. And as he's riding along, he's reading something out loud from the prophet Isaiah. So then Philip, led by the Spirit, goes over to his chariot and asks him if he understands you know, what he's reading. And the eunuch replies with what I assume is, is probably you know, every missionary's dream response, right? Like, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And then Philip gives a quick fist pump, right? And says, okay, well, I'll hop in and, and help you out with that, right? So he hops in and, and begins to explain to him that what he is reading is the prophet Isaiah pointing us towards Jesus Christ and tells him all about the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, how he was executed by the Romans and how God raised him from the dead. So then they continue to go along, and as you know, the eunuch recognizes this body of water and says, look, there's water. You know, how about you baptize me? And again, rather than consulting with the session first, uh, Philip just obliges. Let's do it. Right? Let's, let's get this thing done. And immediately after the baptism, Philip is then this kind of weird, like mysteriously snatched away by the Spirit and is sent elsewhere to continue preaching the good news uh, somewhere else. It's a lovely story, and it's one that I'm sure many of us uh, read and wonder, like, man, why can't it be that easy, right? That, that was just a perfect setup, and, you know, the Spirit just kind of put the ball in the tee, and, and Philip, you know, knocked it out. But, but there is one problem with the story, and maybe problem is too strong of a word. Uh, th there's one thing about this story that, that we can easily miss that uh, I think would have stuck out like a sore thumb for the earliest readers of this text especially Jewish readers. And that thing is Deuteronomy 23.1. You see, this Ethiopian eunuch had just come from Jerusalem, where he had gone specifically to worship, right? That's, that's what we're told. But this would have been a bit of a problem for him, because not only was he a foreigner, which is a, you know, a minor mark against him, but we can get past that, and not only was he a royal official in another court, right, which likely meant a, a whole pantheon of, of foreign gods, other gods, which again, not great, right? But we can work with that, I suppose. But he was a eunuch, which means, of course, that he had been castrated. And Deuteronomy 23.1 specifically forbids anyone who has been castrated to enter into the assembly of the Lord. So, not only was he likely excluded from worship when he was in Jerusalem, but now Philip, knowing that he's on the list of folks not permitted by Scripture to be a part of God's assembly, that he's a part of this group of people who, according to the law of God, has been, forgive the pun, cut off from communion with God and God's people. And this is the guy that Philip welcomes 
and baptizes at the urging of the Spirit, with apparently no questions asked. Now, there's, there's all sorts of ways around this you know, apparent contradiction, right? Some, <clears throat> some have tried to argue that uh, Deuteronomy, this verse in Deuteronomy, only forbids entrance into the temple, but not other places of worship, like a synagogue or other assembly of worship. But that doesn't really work because the Hebrew word is very generic. And that word, when it gets translated into Greek, uh, becomes the word ekklesia, which you probably recognize, right? Just That's how we translate the word church in the New Testament. And then others will say that you know, the word eunuch can mean a wide range of things, right? Like uh, in Matthew 19.12, Jesus, Jesus mentions there that uh, it is possible for people to be born as a eunuch, right? So perhaps this Ethiopian eunuch was not himself castrated, but was, was born like this. And if that's the case, then he should be allowed to be a part of the assembly because the prohibition in Deuteronomy is not specifically against eunuchs, but those who have been castrated. But that doesn't really work either since Luke deliberately, uh, and I think intentionally, identifies him as someone who is a part of this foreign royal court. Who, and, and any first or second century reader would know immediately that a eunuch as a part of this foreign royal court uh, is not likely to have been born that way, but that was part of the price of admission. The, these are people who uh, were sexually mutilated as a part of their entrance into this inner circle of royalty. It it's, kind of sounds to us like a rather gruesome and, and brutal practice, but uh, fairly common in certain circles, certain cultures of the ancient world. And then, of course, there's that default response that we can, we can kind of go to whenever something in the Old Testament doesn't quite fit with what you know, we're comfortable with or what we know or what we like, right? We say, well, that's, that's part of the old law, right? And Jesus fulfilled that or abolished it or changed it or however, however we want to say it, right? That that's, that's old law type stuff and that doesn't really apply anymore. And particularly we can see that in Acts, right? This, this movement away from the old law. And that, that one's my, my personal favorite because it's, it's kind of that, that trump card that we use, I think unintentionally, but we, we play it kind of whenever it's convenient, right, for us and whenever it kind of fits with what we want uh, our theology to kind of to be or to say. But then we can still claim certain portions of the old law whenever we want. It's, it's a really handy little trick. But this is where it gets even more complicated <laughs> because not only is this Deuteronomy 23 passage apparently contradicted by Philip's baptism of this Ethiopian eunuch, but the Old Testament itself also contradicts this explicit command from the law. In Isaiah 56, 3 through 5, which was likely written in the wake of the Babylonian exile where the people are trying to kind of pick up the pieces of all that was lost, remembering and reimagining what it means to be God's people, God's covenant people. The prophet Isaiah says this. He says, do not, do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So you can see I'm not the only one who can't resist a cut off pun, right? Just, just want to point that out. 
But how do we reconcile this, right? There's these two seemingly kind of contradictory things, both within the Old Testament, that is kind of continued in the New Testament. You know, did God change God's mind? Did Scripture really just contradict itself? Because this is clearly not just old law, new law, old covenant, new, new covenant stuff, right? But perhaps instead of pitting Deuteronomy against Isaiah and Acts, perhaps instead what we can say is that what we see here is this live conversation that is going on within Scripture. And that it's this apparent contradiction is only a contradiction if we understand Scripture in a particular way. A way that, to my mind, is incredibly limiting and not quite God's intention for what Scripture is supposed to be for us. And we are hopefully reminded by it yet again that Scripture does not always speak monolithically. That is to say, it is not this one-way lecture of do's and don'ts from God's lips to our ears. Instead, it's this ongoing, literally thousands of years old conversation a sacred conversation into which we are invited to participate. It's an invitation to this divine dialogue that, that, is, uh, that God is speaking to and through us. By the grace of God, we are called to participate in that conversation. Now, no doubt, Philip knew both Deuteronomy and Isaiah. And don't forget which book of the Hebrew Bible the eunuch was reading when Philip met him. He was reading Isaiah, right? And knowing both of those texts, Philip found himself at a bit of a crossroads. He felt strongly that the Spirit was speaking to him and calling him to this particular person, even though he was a foreigner, even though he was a eunuch. We might even be able to imagine uh, perhaps an inner conflict in Philip's head about this. You know? but, but Moses said no eunuchs, right? And, and Moses talked directly to God, Seems like a big deal. But then there's Isaiah, and he's a prophet. You know, but was that a one-time thing? Is that just like a special circumstances following the exile, you know, kind of going back and forth with this? You know, but what I would like to suggest is that perhaps Philip offers us a bit of a model to follow. Philip, we might say, was guided not only by how he knew and understood God to have been revealed in Scripture, but also how he felt compelled by the Spirit to act. Now, we have no way of knowing this, but Philip may very well have been deeply conflicted by this call from the Spirit. You know, you want me to witness to him? The eunuch? That guy? But, I think significantly, we don't hear any of that in the narrative. We don't hear any of this conflict or back and forth from Philip. Philip doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hesitate to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with this man who would have been considered by most in his culture to be far less than a man. He didn't hesitate to extend the hand of God's welcome uh, to this man even though he knew he was an outsider, a deviant, and could have felt quite justified in doing so according to Scripture, according to God's law. He didn't hesitate when the messenger of God came to him and said, get up and go. Or when the Spirit of God told him to go sit with him, go join him in the chariot. The unsettling reality for those of us who also claim to be followers of the same Christ as Philip 
is that often when the Spirit calls us to get up and go, it's usually to the very people we'd rather keep out. The people that we can easily justify keeping out based on Scripture. The Spirit is indeed speaking to us today, calling us to get up and go. How will we respond when we realize to whom we are being called? Will we hesitate? Will we take our time and try to reread some texts and think through some various passages of Scripture? Or like Philip, will we simply get up and go? Amen.